0: Uh, yeah, just before we begin our discussion of alias today, I'd like to include a content warning because there is a bit of discussion about sensitive subjects, such as sort of sexual violence um, and stuff like that. So just just be aware uh, that that's going to be included in this episode.
1: People with an awful lot of stress justified or unjustified and then this is their way their outlet their coping I, mechanism I yeah. think I a think coping out mechanism as they go
2: I think you're onto something because I think when I'm stressed out I swear more
1: and when I'm in stressful situations I swear more well people who are not stressed tend not to swear <laughs> as much <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah, I mean I I think. No, correlation <laughs> is also-
0: oh, causation.
3: maybe there's a just. <laughs>
2: Sure. No, no, no! But like, <laughs> it's but I think it's like if things it, if I'm relaxed and things are going well, like I'll probably be That's less likely to ruin people's faces. Yeah. Exactly.
3: <laughs> I'm the opposite. I'll cuss just. It doesn't matter. Stress, I'm not stressed. Not stressed. Happiest day of my life. Theory
1: <laughs> disproven. <laughs> All right. Fine.
3: Well, it's, of course we. <laughs> we have this discussion for the the book that has the most swears
0: in it. So yes, yeah, this is all true. All pages
3: vocabulary for I, our explicit.
0: Book. Yeah, I felt like this
1: was <laughs> okay, a okay, guys. Was... Now keep in mind we haven't been approved by iTunes yet, so okay. let's not actually swear in this episode, even though it's a book that's full of swears. Welcome to the Trade Waiters. On today's Trade Waiters, we are going to look at Volumes 1 and 2 of Jessica Jones Alias by Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Gatos. And, um, oh, before we do that, though, we have to have a spoiler alert. Yes. (laughs) Man. We gotta pay some money for like some some SoundCloud actual sound. My
0: heart breaks every time. <laughs> oh,
1: we will have to solve this eventually. Oh my yes. gosh. Um, So we need
3: like a spoiler alert song.
2: So if
1: oh, we, like, a there's numbers. a good idea. Ooh, we should get
2: Sleuth to record one.
1: Ooh, if, if we can convince them.
2: Yeah. All right. So uh, yeah. So we're gonna spoil the first two volumes of Alias in this episode, and then um, well. we'll if you're interested in more, we'll have the next two volumes in the next episode.
3: And those will also be ruined. <laughs> yes, we'll spoil those
2: two. <laughs> we so may also spoil the next Netflix show in the second episode.
1: That in this episode, it'll just be about the first two volumes yes. of this uh, series. Uh, so if, you have not, if you've read the first two volumes and you haven't read the other two yet, then you're fine. You're, you're good. Like Listen to this episode. And you have two more weeks to catch up on yes, the others. Yeah.
3: I mean, what were you doing with those weeks,
1: anyway? <laughs> well, reading comics, I assume. Well, these are comics, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, should I lead us off with a
2: character-revealing question? Please do. Okay. So, uh, who are you <laughs> first? And uh, then tell us, uh, what was something that you did as a teenager that you don't do anymore?
1: Ooh, hmm, interesting question. I don't know what to say. Well,
2: I will. I will start you guys off because okay. obviously, since I wrote this question, I had an answer in mind. Okay. Oh, um, you. So, uh, oh, I gotta check my notes on that. <laughs> um, so I'm Jeff Ellis, and something that I used to do as a teenager uh, that I don't do anymore is make collages.
1: Huh. I thought
2: of that reading volume two of the series because they have the there's a teenager who makes collages, and I thought, you know, I used to do that, and I why don't I do that anymore?
1: Good answer.
2: Huh.
1: Okay, well, um, I'm Jonathan Dalton, and when I was a teenager, I used to read superhero comics. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, i
1: and then I tricked you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I do actually have a better answer, though. That was, that was my joke answer. Uh, I was in the, uh, the band in high school, and I used to play the flute, and much to my mother's disappointment, I have not picked that flute up since... <laughs> oh, man,
0: yeah. Cartoonist floatist club. I yep. also play the flute, but that's not my answer. Um, I'm Kathleen Gross, and I am much closer to my teen years than the rest of you. Oh, harsh, so ouch. it was hard to think of <laughs> something that I don't do anymore. Uh, but when I was in high school, I... Um, did a lot of improv. I was on my high school's improv team uh, for, like, three years and did a whole bunch of other stuff outside of that, and then I moved away from Toronto and stopped doing it. Hmm. Um, So, yeah, it's weird. It was, like, this really huge part of my life, probably more so
3: than art in some ways, and now it's not a thing I do, ever. Mm -hmm. So you can be Cartoonist flautist Club, and we can be Cartoonist Improv Club. I did improv in uni. The circle is complete. Uh, so, I'm Angela Mellick, and uh, I feel like I'm pretty different than I was in my teens, but it's kind of fun imagining y'all in your teen years. <laughs> and, uh, when I was a teenager, compared to now, I used to wear a lot more makeup, actually. Mm. I had a very dark look, and I wore a lot of dark makeup, <laughs> and now I don't at all.
2: <laughs> I can't imagine that, actually. I can't. No. I can imagine that. Really? I yeah. don't know. I guess.
3: I, see, that's how much of a departure it is. I was straight mm. up Gotham. Oh, I can wow. I totally yeah. imagine that I and I say. love the same <laughs>
2: pictures. <laughs> man, I'm so glad the internet wasn't
1: around back I then, know. right? I'm sure <laughs> I <it> must have <laughs> seen that in a Wasted Talent page at some point. Probably. Why mm. is not there a one, surprise?
3: There is one that I never posted, but I don't talk about the past in Wasted Talent.
1: I mm. know that mm. it's the present. Mm.
3: present. It's living the now, John.
2: Wow. Okay. Yeah, geez. Oh, (laughs) speaking of the now, now we're going to talk about Alias. So um, I have a little bit of background on the writer. Um, So Brian Michael Bendis was originally uh, working in a comic book store, and he was uh, publishing crime and uh, espionage stories with a very small publisher called Caliber Comics. And uh, those stories got him noticed by... Todd McFarlane at Image Comics, and he was hired to write a mini-series called Hellspawn, which is a spin-off of Spawn.
1: <laughs> well, it um, the 90s.
2: Yeah, um, but that actually allowed him to reprint his work with uh, Caliber, so he um, printed uh, two crime stories called Goldfish and Jinx, and also um, a book called Torso, which was a story of America's first serial killer, um, and that got him mentioned in Spin Magazine, in, I think, like 1997 or 1998, and that article in Spin Magazine uh, resulted in him getting countless phone calls from movie producers. Um, So he then uh, documented his journey of trying to and failing to adapt his comics into movies in a book called Fortune and Glory, which was nominated for an Eisner Award. And At that point, he had enough notoriety that Marvel Comics uh, basically headhunted him to take on their ultimate uh, comics line. So he actually got to make a completely original version of Spider-Man set in the year 2000. And he retold Spider-Man's origin from the beginning. And from that, they trusted him to start to take on other projects. And eventually, he convinced Marvel to start the Max line, which was their... No code approved answer to the vertigo line that DC has. So, this is the first time Marvel was printing books that didn't follow the rigid comic code, where you s- couldn't swear, you couldn't have um, graphic violence, um, good always had to win, etc. So, this uh, series, Alias, was the first flagship title in an adults only venture for Marvel Comics. And um, this is probably most reflective of his early crime comics where this is a story of a retired superhero who is now a private investigator, and it's played a lot more as sort of a, uh, a crime noir in a superhero universe. And he's adapted that later into works like Powers, which is a similar kind of take on like, uh, detectives in a superhero world. Um, he's also notable for uh, being the creator of the African-American version of Spider-Man, so Miles Morales, yeah, Miles Morales. So he's um, been very active in social media. He has a really interesting Tumblr feed with some really great art samples, and he seems to have some really good politics. Um, I don't know as much about Michael Gatos, but I feel like the real strength of this series came out of the writing, um, and this eventually got enough notoriety that it was adapted for Netflix into the series called AKA Jessica Jones. Um, so, I just thought because the Netflix series came out recently, it would be interesting to kind of look back and go through the original series and have a look at um, something that is a little bit superhero, but I think in a lot of ways a bit picking apart at superheroes. So, uh, I was the one that uh, recommended it, so I mean, I have, I have thoughts, but I'm actually really, really curious about your impressions of the first two volumes.
3: Okay, Uh, I'll start. So uh, Brian Michael Bendis is someone that I had heard a lot about. Uh, I think it's well documented on this podcast series that superhero comics are not my bag. So I have not read a lot of superhero comics. It's not something that I usually like and enjoy. But I was really interested to uh, finally read something by the famed Brian Michael Bendis. <laughs> because usually his work is in these Marvel titles, right? Where mm-hmm. it's, it's laden with these huge continuity. Right. And I really just do not want to wait in. So Absolutely. I'm grateful to have the opportunity to kind of explore his work in a self-contained way. Yeah. Uh, the book had quite a lot of ground to cover to win me over, let's say. Mm-hmm. So, uh, not into superheroes, I don't like crime, I don't like I don't like noir, <laughs> 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 and uh, yeah, I, re- I read all four books. <laughs> oh, there we go. Alright, <laughs> uh-huh. All right.
0: yeah, like I think I'm in a similar boat to you, Angela, in that like, I'm not a uh, huge superheroes person, um, and I was honestly expecting to hate this series. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like, I was just really expecting to not like it, and then I wound up actually quite enjoying it. Hey, that's Um, good to hear. I found, after I finished the first book, I was excited to move on to the second book and keep reading. Um, And sure, there are definitely things to be critiqued within this series, but overall, it was an enjoyable foray into a little little taste of the superhero <laughs> world, because there wasn't enough things that sort of bothered me. I right. Know. I mean, <laughs> so that sounds really bad, but, like, I did enjoy it. And there were right. a couple things that, like, off the bat kind of made it more enjoyable to read. Like, huh. I actually found the art was really um, important to me in, like, setting a tone as mm-hmm. to what whether or not I was going to enjoy this work, because one of the things that I find really frustrating with superhero comics is the sort of uh, very male gazy way that Mm -hmm. it's drawn. Like, there's just a base level of sexuality and sexualization of women Mm -hmm. um, in the comics that is really alienating uh, for me personally. So, um, opening this book and the way uh, Jessica and the other women in this book are drawn by um, Gatos, uh, it's, like, very human and very personable like Jessica when she's doing things she's she's just doing them she's not posed mm-hmm. which you can't say for a lot of other artists and you can even see that contrasted with um one of the artists in uh, later on in the series because uh, a couple artists for different sort of tonal reasons are brought in to draw different things mm-hmm. and that artist whose name I actually don't know off the top oh. of my head we'll,
2: we'll talk about that yeah. in episode two
0: okay yeah but yeah in the we'll, we'll say that but like First book, opening it up, I found it really refreshing to have these stories drawn in this particular way, and I didn't feel immediately off-put and alienated, which is what happens a lot
2: Mm -hmm. with these books. I'm really glad to hear that. (laughs) Um, And uh, actually, yeah, I, I... second that with the the art, and actually I feel bad that I didn't pull up a bio for Gatos, yeah, because <laughs> he he did a great job, and maybe I'll, I'll remedy that in episode two and I'll yeah. talk a little bit about Michael Gatos
0: I super disagree he... with your initial <laughs> statement of the writing carrying sort, because I felt like the art and the writing, the way they interacted together was why I enjoyed it okay and I not have necessarily enjoyed one on its own or the other
2: on Excellent, its own. no, you know what? Apologies to Michael Gatos, this book would not be what it is without
1: you yeah, like um, for listeners who haven't listened to our previous superhero type episodes, um, my opinions on superheroes are complex. I have I read them for uh, I read nothing but superheroes for ten years straight and, and then stopped and really have had a hard time going back to that. But so I wasn't quite sure what to expect with this series, but uh, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Uh, like there were some things I didn't like, um, but. It was okay. It was, it was a decent book. Like this is, a, this is not something that I would put in the same category as the books that I feel like I don't want to read anymore. <laughs> uh, and I think, yeah, I agree with Kathleen that the, the art is pretty important. One of the things that um, I had a lot of trouble with at the start, especially I think in the first half of the first volume, was that the art and the text seemed to be at war with each other. Like I will agree
3: with you on that one. Yeah,
1: like, I wrote down here on my notes, great script, good art, bad comics. Because mm. they just, they were constantly at war with each other. They were not getting along. I think uh, the fact that they got along so well later on in the series is um, entirely a tribute to the skills of Michael Gato so that he can take these ridiculous scripts that Michael Brian Michael Bendis is giving him. Like, they're great scripts. They have great plot, great characters, but this is not a comic script.
3: Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I will jump on board that 100%. One of my biggest frustrations reading this book, especially in the beginning, was Gidos' repeated art. So there would be a lot of uh, what's referred to, I think, in industry as ping-pong dialogue, mm-hmm. right? which is just... Very, very short bursts of text. Yeah, yeah. What I pulled up that? a
2: screenshot. Oh, I didn't mark the page number, sorry. But this is during the interrogation scene between Jessica and the police officer.
3: Yeah. And it's just like every single... Well, we'll, we'll figure out what page this is, but I remember it distinctly. And it's certainly not the only example because it, mm. it's a lot of the book. Yeah. Um, but a lot of panels with very little text moving back and forward. And the art does not change at all. Mm. Yeah. They're copied and pasted frames.
2: What?
1: Like yeah, I, think I had,
3: I don't know, I had um, two sort of feelings
0: about that, like initially it, it bothered me, um, but as I kept reading, I, I will also say I was reading this on my phone, so I was reading it on the Kindle app, which this is, is where you tap and you zoom in on one panel and just swipe um. through all the panels, and it was actually really effective in that particular reading format, because mm. uh, it was almost like watching a movie mm. in a way. Right. However, I can see in reading um a full page blown up, which is how it was initially you know intended to be read like that doesn't work as well it's mm-hmm. it's uh just a little bit
3: kind of difficult to read because your eye kind of glazes over it and it was it right. was frustrating to me as well. I was reading it in the iPad edition, and uh there were a lot of cases, especially during this ping pong dialogue, where it was forced landscape it was forced landscape. Yeah. It, it was a two-page spread. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it was all of this, you're trying to read it, and yeah. it's tiny.
2: I was rotating my iPad quite a bit reading this on Comixology. Yeah. Uh, so Guided I, View I would like have that. been good for this. Yeah, I, I um, might
3: have tried it with Guided what, View.
2: One note um, I'll actually make is um, that I've read his earlier works, which you guys haven't, but um, I would say that the, the paneling and the pacing is very indicative of Bendis's early works that he drew himself. Um, so I think part of why maybe I overlooked uh, Michael Gatos is I felt like Bendis had a lot of control over the layouts of these as well because they really reflected uh, how he did his storytelling in his own personal works. Um, and in this instance, we have a, a, a better artist drawing the characters, but a lot of the camera angles and the, and the pacing choices seem to match up with what he did in those early indie stuff,
1: hmm.
2: uh, which is a lot of big black areas and a lot of ping-pong dialogue which I actually kind of take as a, uh, like a hallmark of his writing style. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I personally, like, I, I know what you guys are saying, but I, I sort of found that, in a way, it added to a little bit of the the rhythm and then sometimes, like, the, the pacing where you'd have, like, sometimes no dialogue and you have, like, hundreds of little panels of somebody's head mm-hmm. and you get that sense of, like, time passing. Um, so there were times that I felt it was effective, but um, there were definitely times that did not work and... I don't want to jump ahead, but there's definitely one particular one in Volume 3 that I feel is just atrocious
1: um, in, in multiple levels. Um,
0: put a pin in it. Yeah, okay. I'll
1: put a pin in that. Like the, okay, <laughs> so the, the spread we've been looking at is in the middle of Issue 3. There's no page numbers in the print version as well as the iPad version. All right, but um, it's the interrogation. Yeah, thing. yeah. So there's the police officer. Yeah. Um, but like even when it got to the point where it has hundreds of panels, I still prefer that to where... We started in the first issue where you had um, these sort of chain linked speech bubbles of the same ping pong dialogue, but no art to back it up. Mm-hmm. Like, that was impossible to read. It re- took me right out of the story. Right. Uh, yeah. Like and it feels it, yeah. like he's trying to write a movie script, Right. but this is not a movie. Yeah. I'm sorry, write a comic script. I
3: agree yeah. 100%. Several times while I was reading the earliest book, I've, I had this feeling like well, I mean, there's nothing interesting happening visually. Why am I reading a comic? Exactly. I prefer to read a novel.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and I would say that um, as a writer, he's definitely evolved. I think his m- more contemporary works, you see less of this mm-hmm. chained balloons and less of these like weird shortcuts to adapt a movie script to a comic. Um, so I think this is definitely a, 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 a writer learning how to make comics in, in the process of making this comic. He's sort of figuring out oh, what can I actually ask my artist to do? What's an appropriate length of dialogue?
3: But he'd, he'd, According to your bio, he'd written all of Ultimate Spider-Man before
2: this? Um, not all of it. He'd been okay. writing this concurrently, actually. Oh, so okay. he was writing uh, Ultimate Spider-Man while he was writing this series. He's okay. quite a prolific writer. Yeah. Um, I think currently he's probably writing about 50% of the Marvel
1: Universe. <laughs> 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 um, like I do feel, though, that uh, as the series went on, the The combination of words and pictures bothered me way less. So right. whatever they were doing worked better. They got they were getting along better
2: Agreed. as mm-hmm. time went on. Yeah. Agreed. Um, no, definitely. And I, I mean, I don't know, I think, like, I know you, I, po- I had this page, and you were sort of listing it as something that was distracting, but I actually pulled this page because I actually sort of felt like this was a really great example of what I like about Bendis' writing in that the dialogue between the characters just comes off so naturally, where she's being interrogated by this police officer, and he's not really getting to the point, and you can tell that he's just interested in the fact that she has superpowers, and he keeps going on these tangents, and she's trying to like get him to focus, because she just wants to get out of this situation, and it just really felt like the way two people would talk to each other, and I think especially in superhero comics, I really appreciate when it sounds natural, versus like you know, when people are like, I am going to punch you, because you are evil! Ah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, oh, yeah, I just have one more note about, like, the copy-pasting panels, um, that I've made notes and I'm looking over them, but, um, like, I feel like they're kind of reminiscent of those, like, true crime shows and, like, mm-hmm. video footage, so, to me, you, even though it initially bothered me, I do think it sort of supports the nature of the story, and it feels like a deliberate choice as opposed to, like, a cop-out, mm. Yeah, because um, it's I mean, if you do the same thing enough times, it looks like a style choice instead of just, like, <laughs> yeah, um, I agree. a mistake because of lack of skills, you Right. Know? So, right. like, that's why I, it didn't... It wasn't enough to, like, totally right. turn me off. Right. After a while, I was like, right. okay, I think this makes sense. But I was also reading it in the panel-by-panel, panel, right. um, which is definitely right. a good way to read it.
2: Right on. Um. Um, and then I just wanted to actually ask all of you guys since, like, you were all talking about how you're a little hesitant to be diving into a superhero book, Um, one question I wanted to ask you guys is my impression from reading this a second time was that I felt that it did have obviously had superhero characters, like the first story arc, it centers around her finding the secret identity of Captain America but I felt like you could have totally changed every superhero character for any other character and it wouldn't have impacted the plot like she could have found out the secret identity of batman or spider-man it wouldn't have mattered it's more about her and her perspective in this world she's in so i think that's what helped you not feel like you were mired in this continuity because you didn't have to know anything about captain america to understand the dilemma her dilemma is happening to her and it's very much removed from that world that that she used to be a part of.
3: Yeah, I would agree with that uh, because I can tell you I know very little about
2: anything. <laughs> I oh, yeah, I mean, <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, like same. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I, I do agree that it's very much Jessica Jones' relationship to superhero dumb as an industry, mm-hmm. which was which was an interesting way to examine it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I Absolutely. found her
0: such an endearing character to follow along with as uh-huh. well. Yes, um, like. Yeah, I just she's not a good person, <laughs> she really doesn't take care of herself, <laughs> she makes some really self-destructive choices, but at the end of the day, like as a reader, I'm rooting for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely.
1: Uh, she's yeah. a, a good uh, noir character. Yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. It, t- it took me a while to warm up to her, <laughs> I think, because th- she's so reserved that it takes her a while to, to show enough of her personality for you to latch onto, mm-hmm. but I definitely uh, came around to her. Yeah, uh, by the end of the first book,
2: I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, 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 I was reading it again. I, I, I also felt like um, she really embodied a lot of the tropes of a classic, like gumshoe detective, mm-hmm. but just as a female character. And I thought it was kind of refreshing to see, like, you have a female character who can be just as self-destructive with mm-hmm. alcohol and sex as a male character. Like, she's pretty much exactly like you know, like a Philip Marlowe character just a woman
1: right and that that was kind of an interesting approach to take that plus she's in this high fantasy universe i think the, the those two elements combined with like the the sort of the noir tropes make for a really interesting story I'm not sure it'd be quite as interesting with just one of those two extra features, right? But with the two of them together, uh, yeah, this is definitely like new stuff. Mm-hmm. Should
0: we talk about the story? At yeah, all? yeah. Oh, yeah like I think too? we've kind of teased I think it. Talked Let's talk about sort of like yeah. our, our reactions. Yeah. But we could talk. About yeah, yeah. How about if we
1: go like one arc at a time? Yeah, sure. Like we did with sure. Tezuka. Do you want to lead us off with the first arc? No. Uh, <laughs> here, sure. uh, so the first arc. This is the first half of Volume One, where uh, we are introduced to the characters, and the main plot is about um, Jessica Jones finding out some finding some dirt on Captain America, basically. Uh, and it turns out it's all a setup, and that someone is trying to get Captain America for their own political ends, yeah. and to um, discredit. Him and the Avengers and superheroes in general
2: yeah and I, I like that the twist in this uh, first arc is that like she's discovers Captain America's identity on video and then she goes into a panic she tries to figure out what to do about it and um, when she unravels kind of who it was that set her up to, to take this video and confronts them their immediate reaction is like well why didn't you just sell it? Uh like that's what you would have done right like you need money why wouldn't you just sell it like that was the plan and so i like that they thought the worst of her and the twist and how she sort of defeats them is that she's a better person than they gave her credit for that she's not just going to sell out captain america for money that she's sort of still somewhat heroic right in a certain level like she's still got a a line she's not going to cross but i thought that was kind of cool any thoughts from from you guys, or?
0: Oh, I actually found this first story a little bit confusing. Maybe it's just me as a reader, but I definitely didn't like super understand what was going on by the time the arc got <laughs> Like it kind <laughs> of took I, me I'm two readings to un- unravel it. Like at the end on the golf course, I was like, "Who is this guy? I don't <laughs> understand what's going <laughs> on." Mm, mm, mm. So, like, while I was, like, enjoying reading it, I, it was just a little convoluted for mm. me as, like, a mystery sort of story where she's trying to unravel these threads as to who's setting
3: her up. Um, it, it, the payoff wasn't really there. Hmm. I would agree with that. Like, Interesting. I just found it very difficult to navigate, and as I mentioned before, like, crime, hmm. that kind of uh, detective novel right. genre is just very not... It very much not what I usually prefer to read, mm. and so even trying to unravel it, it's like, was there a twist? I didn't even realize that uh-huh, was right. the twist, and I, I, see, it's something that I noted uh, throughout the series is that right. there was no real super arc. Right. There was kind of the point which mm-hmm. got at the end. Yeah. There weren't. Uh, there weren't clues to that point laced mm. throughout the series, right. so I had nothing to latch onto right. but this case fic, right. Which I, I I felt was not very strong,
2: right? And I would say like uh, I've heard a lot of. Bendis's critics have said that he's great at building up characters and he's bad at ending stories. Mm-hmm. And I think from reading this again, I kind of agree with that because, um, like Kathleen said, I really love Jessica Jones. I think she's a really great character. I wish she was in slightly better stories, mm-hmm. but she's like what keeps me reading. Like,
1: uh, this wasn't my favorite of the arcs. There were other arcs I liked better. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I felt like the the proportion of superhero to not superhero in this uh, this arc was pretty good. Mm-hmm. It was a good starting point in that um, in that sense. But the politics was like didn't make any sense. Hmm. Uh, and I think part of that is he's trying to not be political. He's trying to not pick a side right or left. Right. And right. I think he that kind of like takes all the energy out of the plot. Because if this is just a politician, then they don't really have an agenda. Right. Their agenda is politics. Yeah. Like, full stop. Yeah. And so it's hard to get really too invested in that. Mm. I did really like the, the cops character. Yes. Like, that guy was kind of weaselly. He felt very authentic, like a real person. Like, yeah. ah, I don't know about this guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that, that guy was worth it. That
2: scene stood out to me.
1: I really enjoyed that scene.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and then, just on the note of super-powered characters, uh, can I ask you guys about Luke Cage? Hmm. Um,
3: yeah.
0: in, in Volume <laughs> 1,
2: since Luke Cage kind of shows okay. up again and again, um, but in Volume he sh- 1...
0: showed up in Volume 1, I kind of felt like he was
2: Written
1: like the stereotype of a black man. Yes, um, I think that's what. He, that? Yeah, me too.
2: He he actually was cr- conceived as the stereotype of a black man in the seventies uh, as a black exploitation character. No, yeah,
0: but maybe you shouldn't be writing him as such. Yeah. Well, well, sorry, I,
2: I I wasn't meaning that as a, a justification. I'm just saying that it's interesting you read it that way because I think that that probably means that yeah they aren't being creative enough with his character.
0: Well yeah, it just it just um yeah, felt really like an unpleasant stereotype. But hmm. I'm also not, you know, I don't know, necessarily the person to Yeah say that. Um I did kind of like his relationship to Jessica as as the series. Oh, I will say the like um kinda of rapey scene at the beginning, we should have like a content warning for that. Yeah. To say earlier because that like caught me off guard and I was like, oh, what have I gotten into? Uh-huh. But it wound up not being um, that, as bad as I thought it was going to hmm. be. Um, I, I
2: feel like they put that in the first volume, first issue to basically kind of be like, yeah, this is the kind of book line we're doing. Like,
3: which is tiresome.
0: Yeah. To be mm-hmm. honest, like
2: mm-hmm. it's
3: a tiresome. Like thing it was. It was meant for shock value. Like it's, it's one of those grim dark tropes, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, as the series progressed, I kind of enjoyed it a little bit, his relationship to Jessica, as like kind of like, you know, you, you've been in this business with someone long enough, and you've seen them enough that you have this familiarity with them, because he's like the closest thing that she has to a friend, mm-hmm. almost,
3: even within their really um, sort of messed up relationship to each other. I would agree with that. I, I enjoyed where the relationship went. At the beginning, I wish I had a little bit more context for who this person was, because at mm. first I didn't even Kind of realize he was also a superhero yeah like, because they play yeah, this down right. so much yeah, that yeah. you're like a superhero. How and right. like, he owns this bar and how do they right. know
2: each other and what right. is happening exactly? Right. Like, well, I mean, I, I kind of read it as like it's like a, 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 a an acquaintance of hers and like see, I read it as more like she's kind of not getting drunk and knocking his door for like a booty call and I didn't feel like there was a problem in the power dynamic, but maybe you read you read a problem in the power dynamic. Um,
0: okay, well, like, there's, where is well, it? Well, she, she expressly she, said yeah, that
3: this is not what she, she wants.
0: She says, Lucas will feel guilty about this, he's a decent guy and a buddy, and he'll feel bad about this, but that feeling will pass, because he'll also look back and remember, this is the one night that I let him do anything he wanted, and even though he, he'll he know it's wrong, he'll smile to himself, he just won't be able to help it, then he'll feel bad again. Um. So I feel like that's pretty clear. Right. That's how I read and it. And like, right. it's, this is superimposed over like mm. Jessica's anguished face and like the top of her head. Right. Um. So that was like super uncomfortable and like mm. coming coming into the right bed, just like right off the right. bat as one like, of the first things well, that you yeah
3: to I, extrapolate from I, a character. I
2: that's, guess like clearly. Yeah. No. I mean, I guess I guess I read that as um her using that situation as like a form of self abuse though. So I felt like that was something she was. Kind of inflicting on herself, it, and it's, she's messed up. It's like she's got problems, but I felt like that was, in a way, something that she was sort of setting up to happen. Like I don't know, and maybe I'm reading things wrong here, but
3: the the setup was a bit confusing. No. So I feel it's difficult to say one mm-hmm. way or another. But it seems to me like the self abuse was. Uh, drinking to way excess and making a bad decision.
2: Right. But so maybe then, maybe it more comes. It's coming out of the alcohol abuse, I mean, right? You can't
0: consent.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. No, that's true. Um, that's true. That's a good point.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that
2: was... Yeah. Anyways, I'd say uh, that is probably like the low point of our first book, and <laughs> then uh, <laughs> we we get we wrap up things with Captain America, and then we get into book two. Where Jessica is put on the search for a Rick Jones, who was a guy who used
1: to hang out with superheroes.
0: Apparently, allegedly, he says he talks all the time about his superhero pals.
1: But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I. This is one of my uh, favorite of the arcs. It's a kind of a weird little story. There's not really uh, a case for her to solve as such. Uh, it's just. Uh, a bunch of characters who are living in a world with superheroes and how this impacts regular people in ways I might never have thought of. And mm-hmm. I really like this. Um, yeah, I it, think... It might help that uh, I know who Rick Jones is. Oh, see, I
0: had no idea. Yeah. yeah. See, I, you know, like, <laughs> I just assumed he was he, a
1: made-up he's, guy. He's, he's, just a, he's just a guy who I, hangs I, out with the Incredible House. See, That's all you need see, to See,
2: I think this goes back to my earlier point, that I think Rick Jones could have just been a made-up guy, and the storyline still works, so they can get something out of it, but you know who Rick Jones is, you maybe get a little extra hmm. nuance to it, but I would say that regardless of who it was...
1: The the plot line for that was really solid. I feel like it was written more for people like me who have heard of these Mm. characters, though. Fair enough. Like, Kathleen and Angela can maybe chime in on how they felt about characters they haven't heard of, but I felt like I was the target audience for this. Mm. Where uh, someone who is pretty jaded about superheroes... And Brian Michael Bendis is going to write this book and say, Hey, you're jaded about superheroes. Me too. Read this. <laughs> <laughs> right.
3: Uh, I didn't mind it. I, I, yeah. I liked this arc. I yeah. thought it was mm-hmm. fun. I thought, uh, compared to the previous one, the twist I understood and I <laughs> Yeah. it. Uh, yeah. And uh, a lot less politics, which is yeah refreshing. Oh, and uh, I, I really liked the scenes in this arc where they had the, the expose book.
1: Yeah, it was basically a
3: two-page spread where you're reading this this expose. I book didn't like that.
1: reading that though. That um, took me right I, out. I, I, I thought, thought
3: like, it was kind of fun, like because that okay. that what is what set me in this universe where okay. this is the same kind of expose book that you'd find anywhere, but it's about superheroes because you don't often see superheroes written in that way. I
2: like uh, that no one fun. read the yeah. book. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, a good sorry, one one little note I'll um, also make is that the uh, art pieces that accompany the text are by Bill uh, Sienkiewicz, who's like a pretty notable. Uh, comic artist. So, if you just like Bill Sinkovitz's work, you may want to just check out that uh end of book 1 to see those uh those little text pieces. Yeah, and I'll I'll put good. a screenshot up on on the podcast for that.
0: I liked the choice to throw in some completely different art in there um and I, I kind of like that throughout the entire series, how there's, like, differences in the art. Like, I do really enjoy all of the covers throughout the series. that mm. are totally oh, different yeah. oh. than the interiors, and, and, and different than probably what was, you know, on the stands at the time. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that, uh, that's
1: uh, David Mack is the cover artist. Mm-hmm. He's great. He yeah. has his own comics as well. Yes. Um, yeah. They're, he, they're, he's really good friends with uh,
2: Brian Michael Bendis, so uh, they often uh, incorporate each other into their Projects.
0: <laughs> I liked the scene near the end where um, it's just after Jessica sort of exposes this guy who's um, his his wife has hired her to um, find out if uh, her husband is sleeping with other men. Um, just right after that scene, Jessica flashes back to like the night before she knew that the the Rick Jones guy was a faker, and she sort of like pours out her heart to him. It's like I really like, your book really got to me, I really felt it, like, I've never really, like, met someone who feels the same way, and sort of, ah, man, I felt her embarrassment reading this scene, where it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, you just poured your heart out to this guy who isn't even Rick Jones, he's just pretending to be, he's completely (laughs) delusional.
3: And uh, as much as we've said for Michael Gatos' work in the beginning of this book, really struggling, that, I felt, was extremely well executed, Mm -hmm. because... You really got that sense of like she's in this situation waiting for this guy, but she's reflecting to this other time yeah. that she was in the restaurant, and, I, and it was really well done. Yeah, well yeah. and
2: I, I like this where it's just really the same panel, and then the very last one, she kind of looks to the side like she's looking at the panels behind her, like kind of remembering and, and looking back on that memory. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's really well done, and for comics,
0: yeah. Yeah, it, it, that scene, I, I really felt for Jessica. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I thought that it was kind of interesting, too, that her investigation for that issue was her um, being hired by a woman to prove their husband was uh, cheating on her with men. And then that sort of takes second stage to this Rick Jones investigation uh, where he's sort of being deceptive and pretending he's not Rick Jones, we pretend to be Rick Jones. So there's this nice theme of people pretending to be... What they're not and so like the b plot related to the a plot really nicely which i thought was really cool oh, um yeah. and then now we should probably get into yeah. the second book volume yeah volume two rebecca come home yeah it's
0: <laughs> about a girl who goes missing in a small community well i think it, i read it as like a small community oh yeah so yeah. did i mm-hmm. somewhere um, in upstate
1: new york probably
0: rumors are that maybe she was a mutant
3: turns out that she was definitely a lesbian <laughs>
1: <laughs> but not I, a mutant
3: um, I really liked this arc I think so yeah. this one was probably my favorite arc of the first two books that we read
2: I, I agree so yeah me yeah. too yeah
3: um, although
0: I will say the sheriff to me he was drawn he looked a lot like Luke Wilson and I found that very <laughs>
1: distracting <laughs> <laughs> oh wow I heard, oh, you're right yeah. I didn't even notice right. that but you're yeah, right he looks like Luke yeah. Wilson
0: so I had yeah. to go and be like when was this Holy published crap. was Luke Wilson in a bunch of movies around this time he, and Luke Wilson yeah
3: <laughs>
2: oh wow mm. so Luke
3: Wilson plays the part of the yeah. sheriff
2: yeah. yeah Luke Wilson mm. okay. as the I sheriff see it, so it's like yeah.
3: is it just me
2: no it's canon
1: now
0: Luke Wilson was like <laughs> my celebrity crush when I was growing
1: up
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> so I found it very distracting
1: uh-huh.
0: um, but that's no fault of the artist <laughs>
1: mm, I don't know it is
2: I've been I, I, been I bet he yeah. photo referenced it I, um, I
3: have a feeling that he photo references a lot of things
1: I so. okay.
2: But yeah, so so yeah, Jessica's in this town. She's investigating a girl who's gone missing. They, they it seems like the implication is they think she got murdered.
1: Oh yeah. And there's a lot
2: of bad blood between her mother and her father who are divorced. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a preacher
0: in town who preaches nothing but hate for mutants. Mm-hmm.
2: And and I will say like um and again I'm I'm coming at this with my comic nerd glasses on but I would say that I think this was one of the best representations of the mutant metaphor. That Marvel likes to talk about, where m- the mutants are this like um, allegory for like intolerance of like different races or different sexual orientations. I think they did a really good job of really showing like this small town American fear for people that are different.
3: I have a continuity question. Okay. So, the m- broader Marvel Cinematic Universe includes the X Men and superheroes, right? And yes. And superheroes are not mutants. It's right. Different.
2: Yes. Okay. okay yeah. <laughs> this is this is where the mutant metaphor falls apart. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because um, for some reason, people are like, oh, you got your powers by being bit by a spider? Oh, you're cool then. Oh, you were born like that? I hate you. Yeah, it's,
3: um, it's
2: very strange. But the, the best written Marvel stories, they will have, say, an anti-mutant person throw a rock at Spider-Man, even though he's not a mutant, right? And that's why I think they did a good job in this, where... Jessica didn't get her powers by being a mutant, but by having powers, people are already like, "Whoa, you're one of those power people." And Ugh. she's
3: defending other mutants as well. Yeah, but, which uh, strengthens the metaphor. But that that very narrow <laughs> distinction uh, was a little bit confusing for me. I think yes, it's a weak metaphor.
2: It's <laughs>
0: so yes. all, deeply a deeply flawed metaphor. Of yes, people have like taken it. Oh yeah. Found her much more eloquent than
1: yes. I am. Like, yes. I think this story works because it kind of skims the surface <laughs> of the metaphor. It doesn't really go too deep into it. Yeah. If
2: you if you want more on disassembling the mutant metaphor, see J. Uh, Edidin and uh, Jay and uh, Miles explain the X Men. <laughs> yeah, it's true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I
3: like this. I liked
2: the date with Ant Man in this
3: book. <laughs> oh yeah. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I thought that was well well set up. A really good dialogue in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that felt, nice felt like
2: a start. real date. And and maybe, like, uh, sorry, uh, I want to get to the date, but I also was just going to throw it there. So all the collages, which is what led mm. to my character-revealing question, those are all done by David Mack, who did the covers. Well, they, him well, and his wife. Um, yes.
0: Yeah, because, okay, at the back, um, like, there's a note where Bendis says that and Tran, who was um, uh, David Mack's girlfriend at the time, had quote a large hand in these pages she drew all over them but she doesn't get credited in the book's credits this and is yeah i mean i don't know like i, I kind of tried to look up see if she was uh, on the internet and i didn't really find much but i don't know it seems a little weird to me to just include an afterthought at the end that mm. oh she had a big hand in this but not enough for us to credit her i don't nope, know that's that was just, that's
1: no nope, that's
2: that's, yeah, that's valid yeah, that's something valid.
3: that seemed a little bit off to me because i really <laughs> enjoyed those, yeah. Uh, yeah, they were they were very central to it as well. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, they were the way that we were seeing the personality of the missing girl yeah. uh, until we meet her.
2: Yeah, and they were very effective. Those were great collages. They really spoke to the personality of this person she's searching for, um, and and I really liked the payoff um, at the end where they it turns out. She's fine. She
1: just left town because she hates being in a small town. Except that her father is dead because her father was murdered. So there's your tragedy right there. So this
3: this was kind of, it, it fell down in the same way that the other... So like I said, how this was supposed to be a detective noir. And since there is no super arc tying it together, the detective noir is really the crux of each issue. And it's another place where the mystery falls flat. Right. For me, it's like, oh no, she was just in the next town, no big deal. Yeah. They do an okay job investigating, quote unquote, yeah. And that was a little bit more interesting to follow than some of the other arcs. But again, mm-hmm. like the the twist is, oh, she's she's fine, but her dad's dead. You know, yeah. like, uh-huh. I
2: thought her dad dying was unnecessary.
3: Yeah, um, I don't know.
2: I thought I, th- I thought that twist worked for me. But but I will say all that the whole dialogue in the car, I was like, wow, that is a teenager. Like that's a perfect <laughs> like
1: teenager, just like, huh. and this adult
2: just. Trying to ignore her and she's just going. Well, on. also like the the fact so that so well
1: done, um, Jessica <laughs> isn't responding because she doesn't want to say what's happened. Yes, yeah, I like also
3: like that her crush uh, follow, calls her in the middle of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> that was
1: fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah, there was one
0: scene in this that I'm just trying to find. It was um, like Jessica has kind of like a dream flashback. Ah, yeah, which right. I didn't understand the first time this book but once I got through the entire series it made more sense because oh. it seems to be a hint at an incident in book four with the purple man narrative because it's the superhero sequence with yes. Jessica as Jewel which was her superhero identity flying and everything sort of seems to be kind of sunny because it's drawn in this very um uh, I don't know energetic this is peppy com- style yeah it's it's yeah, it's, it's, it's art
2: by um mark bagley who's oh, yeah. pretty much a, a workhorse of classic superhero comics
0: um <laughs> but yeah thor is there and he has his hammer and he's about to take a swing at her but you can't really tell from the way this scene is drawn but from book four you understand that that's what's going on and then jessica sees in the window of a room um the girl that she's looking for. Oh, is that, shadowed how that is? And That's how I understood it. Yeah. I yeah. don't yeah. understand it. Purple with a male figure behind her. So it seemed uh, to be setting up the future yes. storyline. Yes. But, how? but foreshadowing. off in any way.
2: Right. Mm. Well, um, I, I think this was just sort of like throwing out crumbs yeah. of she has a past... But mm-hmm. what is it? Well, you'll yeah. find out this, in a book four. This form. doesn't tell you I mean, anything unless you know the ending already. Right. right.
3: The first time through, I was like, I, this is, I guess this is a weird dream sequence. that right. has nothing to do with anything. Yeah, right. I knew it was a flashback to her past, but I agree with you in that there wasn't enough revealed mm. here. Because I, you, it's so obvious right. that, like, something happened I, in Jessica's
2: and past. And it's yeah. not,
3: it's, there aren't enough crumbs.
2: Yeah. Right.
0: You know? Mm-hmm. I, like, it's like just dropping one little crumb right. and calling it a trail. Right.
2: You know? I I read this a little bit like in a in a detective novel where like the main character gets like hit in the head or roofied or whatever, and then they have that weird surreal dream sequence. Like in that same vein as like in the Big Lebowski, where they have that weird bowling musical that really has nothing to do with the rest of the plot. Like it's just sort of this weird non sequitur of, and then they had a weird dream because they were unconscious. I don't
3: think that's what was being
2: mm. achieved, though. Yeah, okay. I
0: don't think that's so. what they set out to achieve. Okay. Um. Yeah disagree. Fair enough, fair enough.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. We're actually going to run out of time. Yeah, so, I mean, I uh, guess... Any last uh, comments on uh, Jessica's date with Ant-Man?
0: Oh, man. It was cute.
2: <laughs> it was pretty cute.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that was really well done. I yeah.
2: I, I really enjoyed the, the date with um, with Scott Lang, and I, I also thought it was great the way, like, you know, um, they set up her friend Carol at the beginning, and Carol's been bugging her to go on this date for, like, multiple issues and then she finally like goes on this date that she's sort of like thinking i'm gonna hate this dude and then immediately they like hit it they hit it off it's great it's like a Mm -hmm. really nice nice little ending to the to the first uh or to the second book i should say
1: i also like uh jessica and um luke cage Hanging out in the hallway. Oh,
3: I, I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. yeah, before I started to warm up to Luke Cage as a character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He
1: was way better written at that point yes. than earlier on. Way, way better. Even like the dialogue. His dialogue in the first, when he first showed up, was just awful. It's painful. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. so, no. He he's a much he's much better in this uh, second book. And yes. also just like like sort of off moments where they're just hanging out. They have they're they're working because yeah. they're getting paid for this. Right. And this is not interesting for the reader because there's nothing at stake. Yeah. They're just getting paid to stand in a hallway. Yeah, And I like that. Fun, um, fun sidebar. Uh, while he was writing Alias,
2: he was not only writing Ultimate Spider-Man, he was writing Daredevil. So oh. in Daredevil, you see Matt Murdock walk into his office and he walks past Jessica and Luke, and they have that first line of dialogue, but then the door closes and you go into Daredevil's world in the Daredevil book. But meanwhile, he continues the conversation in Alias. That's kind
0: of fun. That is fun,
1: yeah. Like, I was wondering about, because... Um, the, this is sort of a, a clue of the expanded Marvel universe where Daredevil's secret identity has just been revealed to the world, I guess. Yes. Uh, and it, it's a pivotal point in the Jessica Jones story. Like It can only fit right there. And I can only imagine the editorial finagling you'd have to do to get that to line up between two different books. But if it's the same writer for both books, then all right, that exactly. I understand now. Exactly. <laughs>
2: but yeah, generally I think uh, the superheroes sort of kept a respectful distance. I kind of like that during their
1: date, like
2: they just have this one throwaway of, like Spider-Man fighting Dr. Octopus and like both of them are like, should I do something? And they're like, ah, I'm sure it's uh-huh. fine. Oh, it.
1: awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that reminded me a lot of there was a miniseries in the 90s called Marvels, which mm. was all painted by Alex yes. Ross. This is before there were any decent Marvel movies and no one cares about this book anymore because it was basically, here is the thing, so you could imagine these characters are really there, but we have movies now. Yeah. Uh, but it was full of those sort of moments of, like, ordinary people in this wor- world of superheroes who just show up and do damage and then you don't see them again. Yes. I like that.
2: Yeah, no, it, it, it's like, I, again, I, I feel like you could take this out of the Marvel Universe and put any superhero in here and this would still stand up as a story. Um, so we should probably wrap it up. Final thoughts?
3: I warmed up to it by the end of the second book. Oops. I was
0: surprised I didn't hate
1: it. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> hey. uh, yeah, much to the same. Excellent. Uh, I, uh, I enjoyed reading this. I'm not sure it would be something that I would seek I... out myself, but uh, it was okay. Yeah, it was, was right, fun
0: to, to have it shoved in front of me <laughs> The that
1: I have <laughs> to read it. Well, I'm, I'm glad,
2: guys. <laughs> that, that means a lot to me. I'm, I'm really happy. I was, I was afraid I was going to spend... Uh, an hour apologizing to all three of you. Two hours. That's why I, That's why I brought donuts. <laughs> oh um, all right. Um, awesome. Well, uh, then, I think the only thing left to do is your shout-outs. So, are there any books not in trade that you would like to shout-out? Um, so, again, I'll lead us off, um, and I will just say that um, if you like Alias, and you would like to read Brian Michael Bendis going full hog into Superhero World and... Having much less uh, dialogue uh, and choppy panels, uh, read his newest series, um, Invincible Iron Man. If you like the Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man, he's basically writing a comic about the Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man. Um, It's really fun and well-written. So Invincible Iron Man is going to be my shout-out. I'm Jonathan
1: Dalton. Uh, you should have said your website, Jeff. Too late now. Too late. Ah. I'll do that in the <laughs> next episode. Um, you can find my work at lostcitycomics.com and I have absolutely nothing to shout out. I don't have time to read comics. You're
2: shouting out your website. I uh, uh, could do better.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll jump on top of that. So I'm Angela Melick. You can find my work at WasteOfTalent.ca. Shout out to deadlines and inking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know what I want to shout out. I want to shout out uh, Angela's Patreon. Aww, Angela that's has a sweet Patreon. You.
3: <laughs> you should put money
1: on this Patreon.
3: I launched a Patreon since our last recording.
1: That's Ooh, right. congratulations.
3: Thank You're
2: you. exciting. It's very mm. exciting. I, I also have a Patreon. You can find that at Jeff-LS.ca. Oh,
0: Alright, uh, I'm Kathleen Ross, you can find my work at kagcomics.tumblr.com, which is K-A-G-C-O-M-I-X, and I have been reading Yoamushi Pedal by Wataru Watanabe, which is a uh, bicycle manga that my
3: roommate recommended, and it's been really fun. I watched the first maybe 15 episodes of the anime, Yawa Peta, yeah. after I broke my arm on my bike and I was sad. <laughs> <But> <laughs> it's I a good really time. Did, I liked it. I really yeah. liked the, like the sketchy style, and oh, the, the characters manga. are cute. So,
0: yeah, I mean, uh, that's what I've been reading.
3: Sports manga! <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: the
3: closest
0: thing I get to sports.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Alright. The Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. We'd like to thank the Vancouver Public Library for letting us record in their Inspiration Lab and Sleuth for the music. You can find us at www.cloudscapecomics.com or at tradewaiters.tumblr.com.